Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is righteous, it is holy, it is true. God, I pray now that you open it up to us, that you give us wisdom as we read it, you give us understanding, open our eyes that we may see, give us ears that we may hear, and a heart to love you and see you in its pages. I submit myself to you, your willing vessel, Lord, touch me, move through me, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 31. I'm going to do something unprecedented in churches, and I'm going to actually read an entire chapter of the Bible. So, let's get to it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. 
and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so, verse 31, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So I read that whole passage, took several minutes to do it, to point out to you what most of you already know and accept, because by virtue of you being here, that God created the universe and all of the elementary things that are in it. God made it. He made it. He made all of it from the galaxies that are far, far away, to the air that you're breathing right now. It flowed out of the mouth of God by His divine will, by His all-supreme will. This is the unsearchable God that we're talking about, who is infinite in all of His attributes. He is infinite in His goodness. He is infinite in His capacity to love. He is infinite in His mercy and infinite in holiness and infinite in righteousness. There is none like Him. This is the unsearchable God. He is infinite in all of His capacities. The Bible describes Him as unsearchable because you can't find the end of it. It's impossible to know Him as we, we know each other. You know, you, you can spend your whole life looking. You could spend several lifetimes looking. You could spend all eternity looking for the limits of God's strength, but you won't find them because there aren't anything. You could spend all of eternity looking for the boundaries of His authority. Just how far does His authority reach? Where's the end? Where's the line where He stops being authoritative, where He stops being God? Where's that line? You won't find it. Because it isn't there. Infinitely creative is our God. Infinitely imaginative. That's the God that we serve. He is infinite in all of his attributes. I want you to get your minds around that. This perfect, all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful God decided that he wanted to make something. And with his limitless capacity that he has for creativity and imagination, and ingenuity, and creation, he did all of this. All of this. And it was his delight to do so. Every step of the way, we just read the whole first chapter, the whole account of creation, every step of the way, God looked 
and he saw that it was good. It was good. Delighted him to do it. Every step in the process was his delight. This God with this infinite capacity to do all of these wonders, infinitely creative, able to imagine and conceive of things so splendid and so wonderful that you've never even dreamed of anything like it. Your dreams don't even come close to what God can conceive. This God, with all of his capacity, made all of this. He conceived of oceans. He designed the mountains and the valleys. He painted the fields with flowers. He gave us rivers and waterfall. He, he divided the earth into canyons and, and crevasses and, and valleys and peaks. He gave us the sunrise and the sunset. He created fruit and honey. Have you ever tasted anything so sweet as honey? Have you ever looked at the sky on a clear day? Just as deep blue as a baby's eyes. He did that. He made that. He made that. Consider the lilies, Jesus said. Look at the lily in the field. They don't work and they don't toil. But even King Solomon, the wisest, richest king to ever live, in all of his glory, and all of his splendor, is not arrayed as well as one of those lilies. God did that. God made that. He said, let it be, and it was. I, I'm, I'm trying through this, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I know I'm not, I'm not coming close to doing any justice to the subject, but I'm, I'm trying to show you just how amazing, how awesome creation is. It is wonderful. It is an amazing, of all the things that God could do, He did this. Infinite in His creativity, Infinite in his capacity to create. And he said, I want there to be mountains. And I want there to be valleys. And I want rivers and streams. And I want, I want heat and I want cold. And I want summer and seasons and winter. I want, I want all those things. God delights in all of this. And he made all this for us. And yet... Yet, even as infinitely creative as he is in all the stuff that he made, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has for those who love him. Then on the sixth day, his crowning achievement. You know, he, he delights in all of this. He, he made all of this and he gave it to us, me and you. He gave it to us to delight in him. And on the sixth day, his crowning achievement, call it his magnum opus if you want to, his, his creative masterpiece, the jewel in his creative crown, he said, let us make man in our own image. Now, everything else I made for them, I want to make them after me. I want to mold man to look and be like me, his own creator. God made the universe and everything in it, and it was good. Then he made an image of himself, a being, a living soul. All of his other created things, above, above all of them. He made us above all of the other created order, above the, the majesty of the mountains, and, a, and above the, 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 the breadth of the sea, and, a, and above the flower's beauty, and above the, the oceans, and every created thing. We, they were created for dominion. We were created to, to dominate. 
We were created to rule. We were created with the same creative imagination as our God that made us. You can see it in art and, and in literature and in, and in architecture. We were created with the same desire and capacity to create that God has. And into man, he breathed his own spirit. Formed us from the dust of the earth, fashioned us with his own hands, and breathed into us from his own breath. Everything else in the created universe was spoken into existence. It was expressive. It was the expressive, jubilant overflow of God's own delight in himself. But man, man was fearfully and wonderfully made. We were fashioned and formed. God held us in his own hands and he gave life to us from his own being. Created to be like him in fellowship with him. Ruling over all this marvelous place that he created for us out of his own delight. And when he was done, when he had created everything, when he gave life to man and, and, and he made us like in his own likeness, he'd stuck back and he looked at all of it and he said, it is very good. It was good. It is good. It is good. Now I've got man to enjoy it. It is very good. Oh, what a God. What a creator Lord that we have. This is how it was intended. You know, man had a purpose. A glorifying, God-glorifying purpose. Enjoying his creation as God had intended it. And then they, Adam and Eve, they delighted in their work that God had given them. We have work to do. God put us here for a purpose. And it was a delight to do it. It was a joy to do it. And that's how it was intended. There was newness and discovery and excitement and adventure all the time. What do you think they talked about when God came down in the cool of the evening to walk and talk with Adam and Eve? What do you, what do you think they discussed? Most of you have children. You've raised kids from, from, from youngs, from Babies, and you, you know what it's like when they experience something new and exciting and they just can't shut up about it. You've been there? Oh, how exciting they are. I remember taking my kids and the, when they ride a roller coaster or do something. Oh, do you remember when it went around the corner and it did this? Oh, I was so scared. This was so cool. It was so awesome. And do you remember that? And they want to recount everything in their minds and, and tell you how it all went, even though you were there with them to see them do it. And they just want to talk about it, how wonderful it was. What do you think they were talking about when God and Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the evening? It was amazing discovery, amazing things to see. The first time they saw a, a waterfall or a rainbow, or well, that came later, but the first time they saw a waterfall, goodness, what is that? How does that work? And then God said, let me tell you. Let me tell you. You know, you plan a birthday party for your child. Anyone ever planned a birthday party for your kid? Yeah, we've done that a couple times. And you, you get everything together, you send out the invitations, you, you do the, the, the cake, and you get the gift together, and you plan the, the games and all that stuff, all so that you can make your child, you just want them to feel special on, on their birthday. And when you see that happen, when you see how delighted they are in it, doesn't that just make you swell up with joy? Think about Christmas morning. Why do we buy gifts? Is it to make the kids happy or is it to make us feel good? I have come to know as an adult, it's to make me feel good. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I don't buy gifts because I think they need what they're getting. I buy them because I, I, I want to be super daddy. <laughs> 
Thank you so much, Daddy. I, I love that. I, I covet that. I crave that. It's awesome. Imagine what they were doing in the garden when Jesus, when God came down to walk with them in the garden and, and they just noticed a butterfly for the first time. What was that? That was cool. And he's like, yeah, I did that just for you. I know they had questions for him, and he enjoyed answering those questions. God delighted in teaching them. How do I know this? Because I have children. I'm a dad. And when my girls ask me things, when they want to engage me in discussion, man, it just it, it, it brings joy to me. I love it when they ask me questions, wanting to learn from me, because it honors me. It honors me. Can you help me understand this, Dad? It honors me when they come to me for understanding. It says to me that they value me, not just for my gifts, not just because I'm a, a meal ticket to them, though it's my joy to be their meal ticket, but they value me beyond that. They want to know what I think. They want to know what my ways are. And that, that brings me joy. What do you think they were talking about in the garden as they walked and talked with God? This was a joyful time. God delighting in them and them delighting in God and His creation. It was a delightful time to be together. He loved it and they loved it. Everybody loved, There's a lot of love going around. A lot of enjoyment and excitement. This was not a boring thing. It was wonderful. Wonderful. They were precious and delightful and joyful times. And I know they had tons to talk about because they had a lot to relate to each other. They were made in his image. They're like little children to him. And, and he, they were enjoying this creation for the first time. And they got to experience and see it. And he got to tell them all about it. Wonderful. Now contrast that because God said when he looked at all that, when he made all that, he said it is good and very good. And it was. That's why he said it, because it was. It was good and very good. But contrast that with what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. Because God said it was very good. It was very good. And then here in 1 John it says it's just pride and lust and not of God. It's not good. Well, you know what happened, right? Everybody knows what happened. You know the story. Back in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, and here's the rub. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. It was good and very good until Adam and Eve traded the giver for his gifts. They made their beliefs 
The, in, in God, subject to their bellies. They made their bellies their God, and they traded the glory of the infinite, uncreated God for His created things, the finite created things. And in doing so, they brought a curse upon creation. Now, there are six curses that were given in Genesis chapter 3 because of the actions of Adam and Eve where they traded the glory of God for finite things. Genesis 3, 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So the first curse that we see as a result of the fall came to the serpent, which is Satan in this case, for obvious reasons. Jesus said in, in Luke, Woe to the, the world because of offenses, but woe to the one that brings the offense. Woe to that person. Satan introduced a temptation, he brought the offense, and he was cursed for it for all time. Then in verse 16, Unto the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. There are two curses here, curse number two and three, that apply specifically to the woman. He multiplied her sorrow and her conception, sorrow and childbirth. What should be the most wonderful time, joyful of times, Bringing children into the world, it was joyful for God when he brought children into the world. There was no pain there. There was no anguish there. It was a, a beautiful thing. He brought, he just breathed and the life happened. But now, because of the curse, there's pain and there's suffering. Labor pains alone would be bad enough. But consider what life was like. I just, just think about it. Most of us can't, we can't relate because our modern experience does not give us the context. But think about what life was life even a hundred years ago before modern medicine. And modern medicine is, a, is a, a mercy of God. As the global population increases and there is so much suffering, I believe God gives it to us as a mercy. But think about it. If you go back to the 18th century, Queen Anne, she lived from 19, or 18, 16, 65 to 1714. She had it as good as anybody could have it. I mean, she's the Queen of England. She had people waiting on her hand and foot. Didn't have to lift a finger unless she, she wanted to. This is the Queen of England. And did you know that she was pregnant 18 times? 18 times she was pregnant. The Queen of England. And this is part of the curse, if you recall. And this is before modern medicine. Uh, so during this time, there were essentially no ways to prevent pregnancy other than abstinence. So women were prolifically pregnant. And it was part of the curse. Remember, he said, I will increase your suffering or your sorrow and your conception. Out of her 18 pregnancies, only five of them survived childbirth. And none of those made it to adulthood. All 18 of her children died before they could reach adulthood. Now, so you ladies who are mothers, you can understand the depth of that kind of pain. In that day and time, childbirth itself was a very dangerous affair for the mother. Many women died because of the trauma of childbirth. So not only did Queen Anne, she go to the edge of death in just having a child, but when that child, when it was all said and done, all 18 times, all of them, she lost them all. And this was not atypical for people in that time. She's the Queen of England. 
This was not atypical. This was not a unique experience. This was the experience of most people. Childbirth, raising a child was a very, very difficult thing. In the scope of human history, it was literally yesterday that all of that was relieved. Less than 100 years ago, childbirth was a very treacherous thing. Even today, in undeveloped countries across the world, they deal with the same kinds of circumstances. Countless miscarriages, countless deaths, infant deaths, countless times when a mother dies during labor, still happening today in many parts of the globe. All part of the curse, because of that curse. Verse number three, specifically to the woman, you will see that she will have different desires than her husband has. She will desire to rule over him, your desire will be toward your husband. In other translations, it says your desire will be contrary to your husband, and he will rule over you. You ever wonder why there has historically been so much oppression of women? Why that they were never allowed to vote or, or own property or, or even have a voice? And even today, why that there are many who are paid less than their male counterparts and why it seems women have to work harder than men to get ahead in the game, even in this enlightened society that we have? Because of the curse. God said it. That's what's going to happen. That's it right there. When we traded God for images. Verse 17. And God said unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the day of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return to the ground. For, it was out, for, it was, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So the fourth, fifth, and sixth curses here are all towards Adam, mankind. The ground is cursed for his sake, thorns and thistles. He'll have to eat. Uh, you have to cultivate the ground and, and harvest the herb of the field and sweat and labor, fighting against the ground that God had given him to till, that God had given him as a, as a blessing to subdue. Now he's got to fight against it. He's got he's to do harvest. He's got to work and sweat to raise crops. Crops will fail because the ground is cursed. Food production will be low because the ground is cursed. And I mean, just think about it historically, again, until very, very recently in, the, in, the, in human history, food production was much lower than it was today. Just going back to 1890, records from 1890 show us that a typical farm produced about 345 pounds of wheat per acre. Contrast that with today, a typical farm produces 2,150 pounds per acre. People were literally starving. This is why in the French Revolution happened the way it did, why it was so outrageous that, that she said, let them eat cake, the queen did. They were literally starving. And for most of human history, that's been the experience. There was not enough food to go around. When they had feasts on feast days in Israel, that was a big deal. I mean, they, they didn't eat like that all year long. This, that's why it was so special. A hundred percent of their activity went to put food on the table. In this country, in this day and time, barely six percent of our income goes to pay for food. We have so much disposable income in this country, and we spend it on so many things, yet, because of the curse, so many still go hungry. In this country, the wealthiest nation in human history, 
the poorest of us, wealthier than most of human history, and yet they still go hungry. Never mind the fact that in other parts of the world they go, I mean, they're impoverished, and they, they live day to day, hand to mouth, all because of the curse. Number five, a man will have to toil the ground and sweat just to feed himself and those that he loves. That's verse 19. By the sweat of your brow shall you eat bread. I, know if, I don't know that if we can truly comprehend just how bad things have been since the fall, unless you've been one of the mega rich like Pharaoh or, or King Solomon or, or someone like that, then you struggle just to put food on your table. You struggled for everything that you had. You, you had the clothes on your back, and where you lived is where you could find to live. Unless you were part of the, the phenomenally rich. That's why it was such a shocking statement when Jesus said, if someone takes your shirt, give him your coat also. Because odds were that if they took your shirt, that was the only one you had. And if you gave them your cloak, that was the only one that you had. That was a shocking statement. And as wealthy as we are today, with all the social programs and the protections that we have today, we still have those who have no shoes. We still have kids who have no coats for winter. I know this because I work at a school district, and we always take up collections for them. We need coats for kids. Spirit of giving, one of the most popular items out there is coats. They don't have coats. Fortunately, we don't have terrible winters here, but we do have cold days, and they don't, they don't have coats. Here's the thing, most of us have multiple pairs of shoes in our closet and probably two or three coats in our closet. And even with all that wealth and all that abundance, there are people who don't have shoes to put on their feet or coats to put on their back in this country. Now imagine in other countries where they're not developed, where there is poverty, real poverty. They don't have those things. Now I'm not knocking people for having multiple pairs of shoes or multiple coats. That's, that's not a problem at all. I'm just trying to show you the contrast. This is all part of the curse. Even with all this wealth that we have, there are those who don't have it. The curse is far-reaching. The sixth curse. This is one that nobody escapes. You shall return to the dust. That's death. Death. The sin in the garden brought about the one thing that we were never supposed to taste. And that's death. We were supposed to work the ground and subdue the earth. We were supposed to do it and, and have children and, and multiply. And we still do those things. We just sweat and sorrow instead of joy and, and, and delight now. But, but death, we were never supposed to taste death. He said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. For the day you do it, you will surely die. We were never supposed to taste it. And it is now appointed to every man once to die. Death and everything that is swallowed up in death came because of the curse, the slow aging and decay that leads to death. None of that was ever supposed to be part of our experience. But we made it that way. We committed an infinite wrong, trading an infinite God for finite things. The extent of the curse is so vast and far-reaching. It touches nearly every aspect of our lives. But you know what? We are not as ones without hope. We have hope even in the curse God provided a way. When God cursed Satan, the serpent, he said, to the Satan, he said to Satan that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the deceiver. But you will only bruise his heel. And the heel 
of the seed of the woman was bruised that day when they whipped him at the post and they nailed him to a cross. It hurt. It wounded. They pierced him. They beat him. But not one bone was broken. And then on the third day, when Jesus raised himself from the dead, he crushed the head of the serpent for all time. Church, the curse is real. We live in the aftermath of, of all that they did, and that they had it so good, so perfect, so wonderful. And they traded the glory of God, the infinite God, for finite things, which we do every day. We do every day. And we ask the curse upon us again and again and again, but Christ gave us victory. He came to crush the head of the serpent, the deceiver who brought it to us. He gave us victory over it. We are not as ones without hope. It is real. Everything that you see around you, all the splendor and all the wonder of the universe, all the beauty and all the breathtaking awe of creation has been touched by the curse. It's been touched by death. To appreciate how far-reaching and awe-inspiring that the resurrection will be. We've been in, I, didn't, I didn't give you an introduction. I just wanted to get right into it. We've been in the, a series on our blessed hope and heaven. To see just how wonderful, how far-reaching the resurrection will be. I think it's important that we understand how far-reaching the curse is. How far it made us fall. It was perfect. And then when we look at back how perfect it was, we can see how neat, how neat. <laughs> That's such a weak word. How, how wonderful it will be. In the resurrection, we can see the disease and the curse that the resurrection will cure. We see in the risen Christ the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrected life. Next week, if the Lord is willing, I'm, I'm going to try, as feeble as I am and as unequal to the task as I am, I'm going to try to look at this resurrection with you. I want to try to, to paint the picture with you, to, to see it and imagine it and, and, and uh, have an expectation for it. I want us to feel an excitement and anticipation, great joy for what is going to come next. And I, I, I've said it to you before, I think in order to do that, it's important for us to see what, where we are now. Paul does it all the time. He, he, makes, he paints these pictures, these contrasting pictures. This is, the, this is the beginning contrast picture. There is a curse upon us that has touched every area of our lives. All the hurt, all the pain that we have, all the toil and all the sweat and all the trouble and all the trial is a result of this curse. Can you imagine your life without it? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that next week. What is it going to be like? What, what can we look forward to? What is our blessed hope? I know eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and it hasn't even entered into our hearts what awaits. But God, He gives us some clues. He gives us some references in His Word. I, I don't mean that we can really... Uh, we, th when He says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, He's not saying that we can't imagine it. He's saying that even if we do imagine it, it's still not going to measure up. It's going to be beyond what you can imagine. He's not saying you can't have right expectations. He's just saying when you get there, your expectations are going to be exceeded. You haven't conceived of it yet. It's going to be wonderful. It means that it will exceed every expectation. His goodness is so above our goodness. When we get there, when we get to heaven, you know, we're going to look around. It's going to look familiar. You've been given pictures of it in His Word. We've been given pictures. 
And we'll look and we'll see, oh, that's a tree of life. I recognize that. I know what, I saw it in His Word, but wow, I never pictured it like that. What a thing to see. That's why you haven't, it hasn't entered into your heart what God has had for you. You can imagine, he's not saying don't try to picture it. No, don't try to anticipate it. Don't try to paint a, a, a picture of it so that you can have something to look forward to. He's saying that even in your wildest imagination, when you get there, it'll be familiar, but you'll be like, I never dreamed it could be this good. I never dreamed it. How good you are. And we'll see his face. Not, not through a glass dimly. Not, not through painted pictures in a book, not, not, not through our imagination, but face to face we'll see the glory of the Creator God who is infinite in all His ways and perfect in all of them and who made us and breathed life into us and gave us this creation to walk on and what a creation it will be when He remakes heaven and earth. Oh my goodness. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. What a day that will be. will think, I expected something awesome. I did. I expected something awesome. But I didn't expect this. This is beyond words. That's what he has waiting for us. We have fallen far. Thank you to Adam and Eve. <laughs> Thank you for all that. We invite it on us every day when we trade images for glory. Or glory for images. But Jesus came that we might have life, we might have it more abundantly. When he took his last breath on the cross and he rose himself from the dead, he bruised the heel, the head of the serpent, and the curse will be broken, and we will walk on streets of gold. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I pray it is light and life to us. Uh, bless us now as we go forth from this place. Keep us in your precious way keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.